time of worship this morning. I want to thank Maritza for joining our praise team. She is a leader of the praise and worship with our Spanish ministry and such a beautiful, beautiful young lady and a beautiful voice. And I praise the Lord that she uses it for his glory. And I want you to know I know her well, and that is her her heart. And I want to thank Leonard for opening our service with his bassoon. And uh, what a beautiful, beautiful job he did this morning. I uh, had the opportunity before our service this morning to meet with the wonderful men and women who serve in our children's ministry so that we could observe the ordinance of communion together before they began to serve. And just as in this room, the Holy Spirit was present there too. Out there in the back under that canopy in 92 degree weather, there was the Holy Spirit and there was a sweet, sweet spirit among those men and women who sacrificially serve our children. And the Holy Spirit is present in this place today, and it is the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. He makes the difference in our worship. He makes the difference in our lives. He makes the difference in the way that we love and the way that we serve. We look at the early church in the book of Acts, and we see that the difference in the lives of those people was the Holy Spirit I want you to know this morning that you can be really religious and a regular church attender and even in the Word every day and a prayer life and and still be very selfish and still not care about other people and love other people. But you can't be devoted and not love other people. You can't be devoted and not help other people. Devoted, it's not not what you do, but it's who you are. And the Holy Spirit is the person, God the Holy Spirit, that makes all of the difference in our lives. Devoted is being surrendered. Surrendered is being controlled by God's Spirit what makes the difference in our lives. It's what I see when I read the second chapter of Acts. I want to read those verses to you again this morning. Acts chapter 2, I will start in verse uh, 42 and we'll read to 47. But I want you to kind of think about and look at what the difference the Holy Spirit is making in these people's lives. How is it changing their lifestyle? How is it changing their attitude toward other people? I read this passage of Scripture and, and I see over and over and over again the sacrificial service of men and women for each other. I want you to see that this morning as we read this passage. Acts chapter 2, beginning in the 43rd verse, the 42nd verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All of the believers were together. They had everything in common. Even to the point of selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Holy Spirit made the difference in their lives in such a way that even 
those outside of this new Jesus movement, those outside of this new ecclesia, this new gathering, this new congregation, even had favor on them. And who wouldn't? Because this filling of the Holy Spirit, this being controlled by the Holy Spirit, resulted in them thinking not of themselves, but thinking of others, thinking of others within this movement and thinking of others outside of the movement. How are you doing today? How can I help you today? What's your need today? How can I pray for you today? I'm here if you need me. Just let me know. That kind of attitude, it didn't come naturally. It is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were simply living out what Jesus had taught them. There was a time when someone came to Jesus. He was a, a man who knew the law frontwards and backwards, upside down, three or four different languages. He knew the law. He knew the rules. He knew it. And he said to Jesus, hey, teacher, tell me, what's the greatest of all of the law? It had been an argument among the, the religious leaders of the day for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Wonder what the greatest of the law is. What's the greatest of the law? What's the greatest of the law? But when Jesus was asked, he did not hesitate. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he offers, without being asked, the second greatest is just like the first we looked at this uh, a couple of years ago when we, when we did the, the love series. And we learned that what Jesus was saying is this second commandment, it's just as important as the first. And it is love your neighbor as you love yourself. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed as they started their their time, their Passover celebration together, Jesus takes off his outer clothing, his cloak, and he lays it aside. He gets on his knees, and he does something for his disciples that they were unwilling to do for one another, and he washed their feet. And then he said to them, y'all need to do this for one another. You need to serve one another. You need to love one another. As a matter of fact, the world will know you're followers of mine. The world will know you're part of the Jesus movement if you'll love one another like this. They were just practicing what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that there was this brand new way. It wasn't a continuation of the old way. It, it wasn't Judaism 2.0. But, but this was something that was brand new. Jesus makes these things new. The old way was built around a moral standard that only a few could meet. And it was the religious leaders, you know. They were the righteous ones. Because no one else could meet this moral standard. Jesus comes along and he changes everything. He raises the standard so that nobody could meet it. He says stuff like this. You've heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm telling you, you look at a woman in lust and you've committed adultery. 
That's a higher standard. He said stuff like, you've heard it said that thou shalt not commit murder. Well, I'm in pretty good shape there, right? Until he raises the bar, until he raises the standard, and he says, you look at a brother with hate, and it's murder. So he, he raises the bar to a place where no one can meet the standard. And then he dies for us. He goes to an old rugged cross, and he gives his life, and he dies for us so that everyone, everyone can meet the requirement of the law in order to have relationship with God. Jesus made me right with God. I don't make myself right with God. He ushers in this new way. The old way required followers to come to a place so that they could make peace with God. But he's changed everything now. Now Jesus is saying, what's more important, what's most important, the thing that matters is that you go and make peace with others. That you go and make peace with your brother. He's saying, here's what he's saying, that's so important, God will wait for you to do that. You don't have to go to the sacred place. You're right with God. Jesus paid your sin debt. You need to turn your eyes off of you and turn your eyes on to others. It's all throughout the New Testament. When we begin to understand how important this was to Jesus, we can begin to interpret all of the New Testament through this, this passion that he had to invest his life in others and that those who followed him would invest their life in others. They would love others. They would care for others. They would serve others. They would be interested in others. Others would be more important to them even than themselves. The old way was according to nationality, no sacred places, no, no, or Jesus comes in and he changes all of that. And he says, it's, it's not that they're sacred places. It's not that there, there are world religions or religions for different nations. There's one way to God. And it's through Jesus. When we receive him and we accept him, what he did on our behalf, we are made right with God. The transaction that took place when we, by faith, believed was that we received the righteousness of Jesus and he took upon himself our sin. That's the transaction. And you are right with God. And so, love others is what Jesus is saying. This message began to be spread throughout all of the Asia Minor area, and there were many, many Gentiles who were coming into the Jesus movement. And why not? They were, they were tired of their, uh, of their old pagan religions that offered them nothing, that never worked for them. And so we were seeing this Jesus movement grow and grow and grow and to go beyond the Jewish believers but even including the Gentile believers. And there was this tension that evolved from this Jesus movement, this message that the old has passed, and there's something brand new. It's entirely new. It's not a continuation. And the, the, the tension had to do with these Jewish Christians adopting 
what Jesus was teaching and, and reconciling this new way with, 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 their, with their Jewish traditions and their Jewish practices and their, their ritualistic things, observing circumcision, requiring circumcision, I should say, dietary laws, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the Old Testament law. And those seem to be so opposed to this new teaching of Jesus, and they were opposed. It felt sacrilegious to these Jewish Christians. It felt disrespectful that they would do away with these traditions that their fathers and their fathers' fathers and fathers' fathers for over 1,400 years they had practiced them because that's what God had given them to practice. To make matters worse, there was this group of people, they were missionaries really, and they were called Judaizers. Judaizers are Jewish Christians. And they would go into these local ecclesias, they would go into these local uh, congregations and assemblies that were part of the Jew- Jesus movement. And they would tell people, they would tell these Gentile followers of Jesus, that if they truly wanted to be a part of the Jesus movement, that they had to convert to Judaism first. The Gentiles who wanted to embrace this incredible message of love, they didn't quite understand that, and they wanted to follow Jesus, but converting to Judaism, I don't, I don't know about that, and why would you make me want to do that? And, and by the way, it, it, it would require a little surgery, Right? And so I want Jesus, but I don't know if I want that. But these Judaizers were telling them, you, you've got to. You've got to do that. Then the Apostle Paul comes on the scene to rescue the ecclesia, to rescue the church, to rescue these assemblies. Paul didn't start out being a Jewish Christian. As a matter of fact, he was... A Pharisee, he, 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 he dubbed himself as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the law frontwards and backwards. And when this Jesus movement came onto the scene and, and he began to learn more about it, he, had, he, he, he just kind of took it upon himself that he was going to wipe this movement out. And he's this type A personality. I'm telling you, if he had not had an encounter with Jesus, he would have been successful. He was going after it. But we have a God who's sovereign and God who's provident and God who orchestrates things. And this guy named Saul had an encounter with Jesus and his life was turned upside down. And he began to understand and see the truth that Jesus was teaching. He understood that Jesus died, that Jesus fulfilled the requirement of the law for him. It changed his whole life. It changed his world. It changed his focus. It changed what drew drove him. He became a missionary after three years of spending time with the Holy Spirit, with God through the Holy Spirit. And on his first missionary journey, he goes to this little place called Galatia. There in Galatia, he leads many Gentiles to Jesus, and he teaches them, and he grows them. And then he leaves and goes to continue his missionary work in other cities. But after he leads leaves these Judaizers that I was telling you about. They come in and they tell these new converts that they got to practice some of the rituals of Judaism. As a matter of fact, 
they would have to be circumcised if they wanted to be a part of this Jesus movement. And I want to show you some passages of Scripture in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Because what I want you to see, one of the things certainly that I want you to see from this passage of Scripture is how angry, emotional, passionate Paul gets about this. We see his anger in the Scripture. And I don't know about you, but when I think about it and I read it and I see how emotional Paul got, this man who wrote more than half of the New Testament, this man whose life had been turned upside down, and I see how angry he gets, it makes me understand better how very important this is, this truth that he's teaching us, that you can't take the old and the new and merge them together not even a little bit. You can't take this idea that I have got to work hard to fulfill the requirement of the law so that I will be in right relationship with God. I can't merge that. There's no way to merge that with this lesson, this, this teaching of Jesus who says, I paid for all of your sin. Let, let's see what Paul says. Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 1. We'll start verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So if you're a Christian here this morning and you're not experiencing freedom in your life, you're doing something wrong. If you're not experiencing freedom from the bondage of rules, you're doing something wrong. If you're not experiencing freedom from the bondage of an addiction, you're doing something wrong. If you're not experiencing freedom from the bondage of gossip, you're doing something wrong. Or, or, or of or of self-proclamation, of, of putting yourself up high. If you're not free from that, then you're doing something wrong. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery that Paul's talking about here is this, is this mixing together, this trying to mesh together the old and new. The new is not a continuation of the old. It's entirely new. It's this idea that there are certain things. It's this idea, as we talked about earlier, I've got to go to a certain place, and I've got to, I've got to make things right with God. He goes, that's over. That's, that's done. He goes on in verse 2, mark my words, exclamation point. Of course, they didn't have exclamation points when Paul wrote this. But this is a, another indication of his emotion and his passion. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. What do you mean Christ is no value to me? Of course, Christ has value to me. See, Paul's not against circumcision. He's not against the, the act of circumcision. What, what he's against is that circumcision in this context represented an identity of someone that they are connected to the law, that they're connected to the Old Testament, that they're connected to the old way. But we're, we're free of that now. So he didn't have, Paul was circumcised. Many of you have been circumcised. How many? No, I'm just <laughs> Circumcision wasn't the problem. It was, 
It was this need, this requirement that was being put on them to identify themselves with the old. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You want to choose to be circumcised? That's the route you want to go? There are 630 laws. And if you're going to go that route, you can't just pick and choose the ones you like the best. you got to do them all. And we have already established that Jesus comes in and he sets the standard so high that nobody, nobody can do that. And then he says in verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. He's just driving the point a little bit further that this relationship that we have through God because of what Jesus has done for us is through grace. It is by faith. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. It is by grace that you're saved through believing. It is by grace. And any time that you take even 1% of your experience, 1% of your experience that you would attribute to your works or to your good deeds or you're just a, you're just a good person, even if it's just 1%, you've fallen away from grace. You can't do that, he's saying there in verse 4. Okay, he makes this point so very, very clear. And then as I study this and I read this, he absolutely blows me away. And I believe that he blows the ecclesia in the United States of America away that if I were to stand here without God's word here in front of me and I was to teach this lesson, you would think that I had lost my mind. If you're a Christian here today, he, t- he says something that is so radical that it's difficult for us to believe and it's difficult for us to live out. I, I-, I-, I want to say this too. If you're, a, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, you're a non-Christian here this morning, I, I believe, this is, I'm led to believe, I, I, I have this feeling that, that, that why you resist the claims of Jesus, why you resist a gathering of people who are part of a Jesus movement is because we as Christians resist what Paul says here. So are you anxious to see what Paul says here? All right, here's what he says in verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith is expressing itself through love. The only thing, the only thing. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul, have you seen how big this Bible is? Have you taken a look? Have you leafed through it? And you're telling me that that the thing that takes precedent over everything else, that the only thing that counts is faith, my faith, my belief in Jesus, my my conversion, my, my... the, the, the new man that he has made me, expressing itself through love. And Paul's saying, that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Get away from this thing of, God, how am I doing? That day's over. If you believe that God sent his son 
to die for you. You're in. You're good. If someone will die for you, they're for you. Paul is saying that the only thing that has any value is how you treat other people. You don't need to worry about you and God. Listen to me. That's how radical this is. You don't need to worry about you and God and and, and how you're doing and how God's feeling about you. You're fine and God is fine. Take your eyes off of you and turn them on others. That was Jesus' message. That was his message. Love other people. A hundred percent. There's not one percent that you can that you can put toward your effort or your work. Look, he says in verse nine. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Just a small dose of my effort, just a small dose of my good deeds, just a small dose of my works. Just a little bit. It corrupts the whole thing. It causes me to fall away from from the grace that Jesus died to give me. Paul was angry. He was emotional. He was passionate. He even goes further. This is the R-rated part. I mean, if you got kids, you want to put your hands over their ears But here's what he says in verse 12. See if you can't see the anger in this. As for those agitators, as for those Judaizers, as for those who are coming behind me and telling you false and telling you lies, I wish they would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. You ought to read the Bible. Why stop with just... Go the whole way. That's how angry he is. That's how passionate he is about this. I think think Paul knew. I'm closing. I'm drawing this down. But I thought about this so very, very much. Why is he so passionate? I mean, what's the big deal really? You know? But I think that Paul had the insight, maybe it was revelation from the Holy Spirit, but I think that he began to see what would happen if this ecclesia, this gathering, this Jesus movement would would allow itself to merge the old with the new. And and I wrote down a couple of things. Number one, I I think that that in a a scenario like that, that that there was a danger of the leaders becoming self-righteous. Why? Because in this temple model that we talked about last week, they're the ones who interpret the text. They're the sacred men who interpret the sacred text at the sacred place. And they, they interpret it in such a way that they're fine, but you're not. That they're okay, and you're not. And you need to come to them so that you can get right with God. I think Paul saw that this, was, that this could easily happen if we were going to allow ourselves to merge the old and the new. And if, and if that happened, then it goes that, that followers, the sincere followers, that we, they would become hypocrites because the standard was so high that they couldn't keep the law. And so they would do what we do is dummy down the law, 
dummy down the, the interpretation of Scripture so that, so that we could fulfill it, so that we could keep the law, so that, so that uh, we could feel good about ourselves. We could go on in our life without any guilt, and that's what we do. It doesn't really mean that. Yeah, it does. Jesus has set the standard so high that no one can meet the requirement of the law. And I think Paul looks forward and he sees what would happen if we allow ourselves to compromise the, the truth and he believes that ultimately people will be mistreated. Ever been mistreated by the church? Anybody ever beat you over the head with the rule and the rule became more important than love? It happens over and over and over again. If we cling to the old things, we will miss the main thing. Here's the main thing, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. You, my brothers, were called to be free. There's that word again, free, freedom. I, it's for freedom that I set you free. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Do not use your freedom. So, so if there's someone sitting here today and saying, well, well, if I'm right with God and it's not my works, and it's not, then I can go and do anything. You don't get it. That's not love. That's not serving. That's not involving yourself. That's not investing yourself. That's all about you. Jesus is saying, here's the most important law, love God. The second one's just as important, love others. And so I began to interpret this scripture because, listen, I myself was going, wait a minute, Paul, wait a minute, Paul. It was you who wrote stuff like flee immorality. And he's going, yeah, you can't do that in love. And we're called to love, and we're called to serve, and we're called to invest in each other's lives. And he, he, he says it here. Don't use your freedom to indulge sinful nature. Use your freedom, use your freedom to serve one another in love because, verse 14, the entire law is summed up, the entire law is fulfilled, the requirement of the law is met in a single command. He says it again. Well, won't we get this? Love your neighbor as yourself. The Gospel of John, he says to his disciples, this is, the, this is a new command I give you. Love your neighbor as I have loved you. Oh, that's, that's raising the bar. It's taking it to a whole nother level. Now listen, this is a communion message. What does this have to do with communion? Well, the instruction that the Apostle Paul gives the church at Corinth is instruction for us today, and I read just one verse to you, the 28th verse of 1 Corinthians 11, and he says a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. He, he tells us earlier in that passage of Scripture, don't you come to the Lord's table unworthily. A man ought to examine himself. 
here's what this has to do with communion. Because I, for years and years and years and years and years of my life, would examine myself before I came to the communion table, and here's how I did it. Here's the things I did good. Here's the things I did bad. But that is totally, totally opposite of what Paul teaches us in Galatians. You are right with God. So you want to come to the table, you ought to thank him for that. You ought to thank him that he took your place. You ought to thank him that he met the requirement of the law. You ought to thank him that he gave you his righteousness. You ought to remember that. That's what the death on the cross is all about. That's what his spilt blood is all about. That's what his broken body is all about. He sets you free from that bondage. And you are right with him. So, use your freedom to love others and to serve others. So I want to go from a place of examining myself according to my deeds to a place of examining myself with this question. Am I using my freedom, the freedom that was bought for me on Calvary's cross to love and serve other people? That's what I want to examine. And that's what I want to call you to today. I want to call you to a place of examining that specific area of your life, which Paul says in the sixth verse of that fifth chapter, it's the only thing that matters. That's what he said. It's right there. It's the only thing that matters. I want to ask our men if they would come and take their places. We're going to do communion a little bit different this morning because there's some in here who shouldn't take communion this morning. And you know what? I'm the one that's responsible for that. I am. I'm supposed to stand up here, and I'm supposed to know who, who, who should take communion and who shouldn't. Well, really, there's only two people who shouldn't take communion. One is the person who doesn't know Jesus as his Savior, the unbeliever. This communion's not for you. I think more relevant to this place this morning is that the other person who shouldn't take communion is the unrepentant person. The person who has heard the truth of God's word and says, I really don't care what that says. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And so I wanted to do communion this way this morning, not pass the plates because I didn't want you to feel awkward if you just let it go by you. Now I'm going to invite you to come. Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. And as often as you take it, do so in remembrance of me. And right after that, he, he took the cup. And listen to what he said. This is my blood, which is spilt for you. This is my blood, which is the new, new, new 
covenant. Verse 